Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Live from inside the dimly lit reception area and waiting room of the Internal Revenue Service, while we are listening to Civil War Muzak, this is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 239. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. This is Mark. This is Albert. So today we are going to get political and discuss taxes. Taxes. Why are they taxing us? The first revenue stamps printed by the United States government were issued during the Civil War because the government needed money badly. This is the Revenue Act of 1862? Yes, but actually, this, although this is the first issue of actual printed stamps, it's the third issue of revenue stamps. The first issue being 1797, the second being, I think, 1813. And those were actually stamped paper uh, stamp issues. They were and, embossed. Yeah. And, uh, and and so, uh, even though we call the, the first issue of stamps the first revenue issue, it's technically the third issue for... The and that's if you do not count the stab, Stamp Act that caused the whole Revolutionary but those, War. those stamps were for the United States. Those were not by the United States. Well, actually, if you... It, they were for... North America and Caribbean islands. Well, yeah. And the ones that are out there, there are incredibly few that still exist from the United States that were used inside the United States. I think there's like a handful. Most of them that exist right now are out of the Caribbean, and uh, the second most are out of Canada. Well, yeah, they but, had to do with shipping. Right, but they all, instead of saying United States or anything, it says North America. Right. But those were not by the United States. Those were for North America or and what the area that became part of that area became the United States. So the first so stamps in Canada count. were not by Canada because they were printed by the American Banknote Company. But they were authorized by the government. Well, then the stamps were authorized by the colonial no leaders were, no they were they had to be they had to be authorized by the king yeah but let's yeah. look at why they issued so, those stamps so, the 1797 stamps were issued primarily to help pay for the revolutionary war debt all that borrowing we did between france and holland and other countries plus all the money we printed and then all then the 1813 revenue stamps were done to pay for the war of 1812 and also that that debt that that we incurred. And then the third set, which we call the first revenue stamps, were in the middle of a terrible civil war. And it was partially because of these, re these, these revenue stamps that the Union was able to survive and not debase their currencies so badly like the Confederates did. 
And just as a note, the 1898 stamp issue was for the battle against Spain. Right. The Spanish-American War. Yeah. So the first and uh, second issues that you mentioned, are those the ones that are in the Scott catalog under the like revenue M- embossed paper section? RVM, yes. I believe it is. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And the uh, 1897 were by state. And then the second one was the federal issue. The 1812 one was actually a federal issue. That's uh, 1797 and 1813. 1813. So anyway... Well, after the war ended, the revenue stamps continued. Revenue stamps served to pay tax duties on items that came under two main categories, proprietary and documentary. Proprietary stamps paid taxes on duties. You said duties. (laughs) Proprietary stamps paid tax duties on goods like alcohol and tobacco and were also used for various services. Documentary stamps paid duties on legal documents, real estate documents, stocks, and other legal dealings. Beginning on August 1st, 1862, the first revenue stamps were issued. Or the second or the third, as we were discussing. Oh, uh, also, um, August 1st, 1960, was the first issue of Cash Breakfast. Hmm. And there wasn't a second. Thank the Lord. The practice of issuing tax stamps continue to be used for another hundred years. They were finally discontinued December 31st, 1967. Yeah, and that's actually pretty epic that a a revenue was ended. Yeah, well, Well, the the taxes weren't. The taxes weren't. So the 1862 stamp tax issue, better known as the first revenue issue, had the name of the tax printed on the stamp. If you bought a deck of cards, then it had a playing card tax stamp. So what were the categories of the taxes? Agreement. This was a catch-all category. Bank check was for bank checks. Many financial ins- many financial and insurance documents were taxed. Now, that was for bank checks over $20. Yes, you are correct. And that va- that amount was was later modified by a certain laws that were passed adjusting the amounts for uh, which these taxes would apply. But yeah, the bank check only required a tax stamp if the amount of the check was over $20 initially. Well, they, they wanted to tax, it basically they wanted to tax rich people because they could afford it and sinful items. That was their big thing. That was how they were doing this. Well, remember that, that all of this was devised by Salmon P. Chase, who was the Secretary of the Treasury at the time. Mm-hmm. Bill of Lading stamps dealt with customs documents. Bond tax stamps were for money due from bonds. Certificate stamps were used for stocks, deposits, profits in real estate, and damage, which is insurance payments. What? And damage, which is insurance payments? Yeah, I was reading the 1862 when I was getting some of this information. And they literally had the category under certificate damage. The certificate stamp was used for damage. And then I had to look it up and it's 
damages when you are paid an amount for insurance. A whole bunch of these. So when you have a claim and get paid. Exactly. When you get uh, paid on your insurance, you have to pay a tax on it. So that's why it says damage. Charter party was for booking a ship for passage or cargo. And that had a that had a limitation, uh, a minimum, I think, of like thirty tons or something like it, that. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a certain size of ship and larger that would have to pay the tax. Right, and like it was based had, on the ship. So if you yeah, had if a you had ship, a yacht and we're going out for a cruise on the marina, you know, or in the bay, there was no uh, booking tax. Actually, surprisingly, there was. It was cheap. They didn't pay it with a stamp. You had to pay it with a license. The 1862 law here, if you pull it up, it's really, really big. Yes. And they, in addition to authorizing stamps, they also authorized a whole bunch of uh, licensing fees for things like uh, if uh, restaurants and... Right, but you uh, wouldn't have to buy the stamp for that. You would buy the license, which would right. be good for a certain period of and time. And it's a piece of paper. But it had licensing in it. It also had the first income tax. There was actually an income tax in 1862 that they implemented. So they had resort fees all the way back in 1862? Yeah. So Vegas, it's not a new thing. Well, the uh, it, and that's why uh, it came up with the charter party is they literally had a yacht going out and cruising around fee. <laughs> but they didn't have a stamp for it. I'm glad you clarified that it was booking a ship for booking the ship for passage because I was like you said 30 tons and I'm like that's a lot of passengers to get to 30 tons of people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or one really heavy person. You could if you booked a 30 ton boat and then put like a 1 ounce bag of feathers on it you'd have to pay the charter party for the 30-ton boat. Well, continuing down our list, there was contract stamps, which were for real estate or stock transfer or many other contract-related items. Like a marriage contract? No, they didn't. They specifically did not tax marriages. Again, this is for rich people or sinful people. A conveyance tax stamp, which was for real estate, which the contract and conveyance were both for real estate. So they hit you coming and going or something. You're going to see like in when we get into uh, allowing them for several different categories, you're going to see that a lot of these categories overlap a lot. Like you have a life insurance policy stamp and you have a damage well, if the person pay or if the person died and got a fee from the life insurance, technically it could be either stamp. Well, the next one on our list is entry of goods, which is for the customs house, which would overlap with bill of lading. Well, more. There are like four stamps here for customs house. There was also express stamps, which were non-post office transport. Which, again, uh, you have the express, but it also could be a charter party, depending on how big or how it was sent. Could be a fast horse. 
<laughs> and this is anything that wasn't sent uh, through the mail. You had to pay a tax on it. They got their money. There was foreign exchange, which was for checks cashed outside a currency exchange tax. Yeah, so if you wrote a check that was cashed in England, because you know it could have been written for gold, you had to pay a tax on it because of the currency exchange. Inland exchange stamps, which were used for invoices. Lease stamps, which were, again, used for real estate. Life insurance tax stamps, which were for insurance policies. Manifest stamps, like entry of goods, was for custom house documents. Mortgage stamps, which were, again, real estate. Passage ticket, which was only to foreign countries, not for inside the U.S. And, of course, we discussed a little bit earlier playing cards, which was for decks of playing cards. Very sinful. Well, I thought that was the end. Just the bottom of the page. (laughs) (laughs) No, they had a lot of categories. Power of attorney stamps for real estate. That doesn't make any sense. It was today. Yeah, it was. uh, If you get a power of attorney for other things, you wouldn't have to pay it. But if it was for real estate, you had to pay it. Coming coming from New York, when you transfer when you buy a house in New York, you have to have an attorney involved, and part of that is because of all of the title uh, research that has to be done because they have to literally go back to when nobody owned the land. So you're going back into the, in some cases, into the 1500s to prove who owned the land and is it clear of any liens and and tax filings and other things so that you can transfer the property. And so by law in, in New York, you must have an attorney involved in a real estate transaction, and that would be what this is for. Yes, because now in California, where we have title policies, you have title policies, but um, California wasn't settled until much, much later. And so the the job of proving who owns the land is a lot less sticky, some usually. And so an attorney is not required. Well, no, 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 it is because if you ask any attorney. They're going to say you need attorneys to do stuff. Well, yeah. I, really I, was pa- I was painting a house and I asked an attorney, should I get an attorney to help me paint my house? And the attorney said, yes, $300 an hour. I wonder what the Indians that sold Manhattan would say about all this. <laughs> Did they have an attorney? <laughs> See what happens when you don't have an attorney? Yep. Well, there's probate of will tax stamps for legal documents. Obviously, probate, obviously wills. Uh, protest stamps for not paying a bill or a note. And this was in regards to a legal proceeding. Yeah, protest was basically a small claims court action. Sometimes it was bigger, but... Proprietary stamps, which was actually a huge section of the catalog, included uh, medicines, cosmetics, and perfumes. Well, proprietary could be any privately produced commodity. Uh, Yes, but under the 1862 tax law, the only items which fell under the proprietary tax code was medicine, cosmetics, and perfumes. Right. Realistically, um, and we'll get to it in a second, 
was also photographs and playing cards were also proprietary stamps, but they were treated different. I thought it was also matches. Nope. Matches were not under 1862. Those were later. Yeah. Oh, okay. The more you know. Surety bonds, which were a type of insurance. Warehouse for storing stuff in a warehouse. Also on August 1st, the Internal Revenue Service also passed a photograph tax requiring photographers to pay a tax on the sale of their photographs. Actually, Congress passed it, not the Internal Revenue Service, but yes, the Internal Revenue Service would collect it, or the Office of Internal Revenue. I don't write it. I just read it. (laughs) (laughs) I know. There were never any photography tax stamps issued, so... Other stamps were substituted. Typically, the proprietary or playing card revenue stamp was used, usually affixed to the back of the photograph. Now, right from I, the... I be- love the idea as the guy who used to do some photography to, to think of, oh, yes, I have, to pay, I have to pay a tax on my copyrighted material to sell it. <laughs> now, right from the beginning, uh, there was some mixture of using different stamps other than their intended purpose. And so shortly after the use of these stamps went into effect, uh, it was decided that basically anything could be used. Uh, They could be used almost interchangeably um, because it was just, the idea was initially that, that the information gathered would provide significant statistics to the, to the government on all of these products. Well, the the it, it was just too much bookkeeping and too much of a hassle to figure this out. Because when you ordered your stamps, you had to specify not only which, which uh, flavor of stamps you wanted, you also had to specify the denomination. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what if you were... Uh, a life insurance company and you failed to order one cent stamps because all your insurance policies were big. But then all of a sudden now you have this insurance policy that requires you to add a number of different stamps to, and you need a one cent stamp. Well, wonder if you were, then they would have to use something else. Realistically, you're in Boston, you're a dude who's sitting there at his warehouse, taking stuff off a boat. Do you use charter party stamp? Do you use bill of lading stamp? Do you use manifest stamp? Use Do you use inland stamp. exchange stamp if you're putting it onto a document? So you're sitting here going. Do you use uh, a warehouse stamp? Or And in the end, you know, do you use a warehouse stamp? It is. Inc- it was. Confusing. To say the least. <laughs> so anyway, shortly after the. Um, shortly after inception they decided that the stamps could be used interchangeably as long as you had the right denomination. Yeah. So a good idea gone horribly wrong. I don't even know if it was a good idea. (laughs) Well, it made sense at the time. It may have made sense at the time, and they may have expected to get certain uh, statistics out of what they would, uh, uh, the information they would have gotten back, but it was just... Too much to implement at one time. It still allowed the Union to pay for their armies. Oh, absolutely. And pay for the Navy and to implement the Anaconda Plan, which, well, which General yeah. Scott 
originally devised at the start of the war to strangle the South. And he ran for president and lost. Well, already burdened with high overhead costs and scarcity of materials because of the war, large photograph companies organized and petitioned Congress complaining that they were shouldering too much of the tax burden placed on the public. After exactly two years, their constant efforts resulted in the tax being repealed on August 1st, 1866. So if you have a uh, revenue stamp on the back of a photograph, it had to be between 1862 and 1866, which is one of the ways that you date Civil War photographs. Now, the tough part is they didn't tie them or anything. So you can find a photograph that, you know, you took yesterday and put a revenue stamp on the back of it. And somebody can say, well, this is from the Civil War. And obviously you would, you know, look at your Polaroid and say, well, this probably wasn't. But if you had a photograph from the 1840s, 1850s, 1860s, 1870s, and somebody stuck a stamp on the back, there's almost no way to expertize that. You wouldn't be the wiser. But would you leave the stamp on the on the photograph if you were a stamp collector? Or would if, you it was a four, if it was a four-cent playing card, I'd soak it off. Right. <laughs> That's an expensive stamp. Well, but I, I mean, it also depends on the condition of the photograph, the importance of the subject of the photograph. I mean, if you have a photograph of Jesse James with a four-cent playing card stamp on the back, <laughs> I mean... It, what do you do? Right. Yep. You don't want to destroy the photograph, but you want the stamp. So, I mean, they're likely to stay together. Yeah, so the 1862 issue, it was to raise money. But like I said, and one of the things that is interesting is they never made an alcohol tax stamp because all the alcohol was taxed via fees and licenses so they never had it. And if you look at the bill, probably a third of it has to deal with distilleries and how we're going to tax alcohol. Yet there was no postage stamp issued for alcohol. And today, you know, well, not today anymore, but you used to have that revenue stamp that went over the cap on top of the bottle. They started that later. It's kind of interesting that they didn't start it here that they didn't put some sort of bottle tax on. Maybe Chase was a drinker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Scott, um, I have a question. And this came up because of an R15, which is the orange USIR revenue stamp that everybody has probably seen literally glassines full of them. But you, you never find one. You find like 100 of them at a time. It's the orange one with Washington on it. They had an imperforated one, and everybody brought up that you can't have an imperforated one unless it was, you know, some sort of freak or error, because it was out of the officially sanctioned period. Why don't you discuss what the officially sanctioned period, and Albert also, what, what was the officially sanctioned period? I always thought it was 1862 to the end of the war. I thought it ended in 60, it was only I thought for it was one 60, year. I, no, I thought it was two years, 64. Oh, okay. Um, well, you know, you notice on that list of all those things that Tom read, nowhere on it 
on that list was U.S. Internal Revenue. Well, that's actually one of the stamps in the first issue. You, you can get a stamp that says U.S. Internal Revenue on it. And that was kind of a catch-all stamp that they created later after they removed the restrictions on uh, using certain stamps for specific purposes. And uh, so, uh, well, why do we have imperforate and part-perforate stamps? Well, initially, when they when they passed this law, the stamps were not readily available for usage. And so to speed up the production and get the stamps into the hands of people who needed to be paying that tax, they sent some of the stamps out either completely unperforated or with only part of the perforating process done. And that's where we get our imperf and part perf uh, stamps from. Uh, once the printing caught up to the uh, need and that the, the stamps became readily available, then they were uh, perforating the entire stocks of them. They were and, able to get through the entire process. Right, before they had to send them out. So uh, that's one, that's why the perforated stamps are generally more available. Two, when you have an imperforate or part perf stamp, you want to see it on the early paper and on with uh, earlier usage dates. And uh, that would also be why you don't find the orange USIR stamp without perforations or only part perforate. It's because it was printed later, it was used later, and it was past that time when they were trying to push stamps out to get the taxes paid. So you brought up that the imperforate stamps are worth more than the perforated stamps. Generally, yes. So we have a problem in that you can cut the perforations off of a perforated stamp and try and pass it off as the imperforate. Yes, but through the different printings of these stamps, there's uh, four or five different papers. Uh, as the paper supply varied throughout the different printings, and the imperforate and part-perforate stamps need to be on the earlier paper. And frequently when you find uh, an imperforate or a part-perforate stamp uh, that is, uh, well, for those who are familiar with the size of the perforated stamps, you look at it and you say, well, that's a little bit small. And on further investigation, a lot of times it's on the wrong paper. It's on a later t paper uh, a paper that was used on a later printing, and therefore you can say, well, this is not a genuine, this has its perforations trimmed off because it's not on the correct paper. Well, one of the great things for expertizing um, of these revenue stamps is this was accounting paper. So the quality had to be high enough so that they couldn't counterfeit it. After they got this really high quality of the engraving, they just wanted to blast these things out as quick as possible. And they wanted to do it as inexpensively as possible. So they would get different ink from different people. They'd get different paper from different people. And if you see the gum, you get different gum from different people. It wasn't a big desire for them to be consistent like they, they would they didn't be with have a postage sta stamps. Like today, they did not have a standard that says the paper has to be at least 
it has to be this quality. It has to be from this source. It has to be. They, they did with meet, the postage stamps. They did right, but, but they not did not with, with the, the revenue stamps. Yeah, with the the accounting paper. Yeah. Right, and so except that it did say a funny thing inside of the uh, article. It did say that you could not make them out of, and then they listed a couple things. And one of the interesting ones was you could not make the stamps out of vellum. And I thought, who would make a stamp out of vellum? That would be weird. <laughs> It would certainly be a tough yeah. <laughs> paper to tear. You know, your perforations would have to literally be very, yeah. very close together, and and they would have to be, yeah. and they would still be difficult to tear apart. But the uh, inside of the law, if you read the law, and you can pull it down online, um, they it appears as though they had a fear that this would happen. And so they did go into some specifications of how the stamps were to be made. And then they went into a big thing about, you know, what happens to you if you forge them or misuse them. You know, all the prison terms and everything that everybody gets. Yeah, I wish they would go after those guys today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, up, up until 20 years ago, there were very few counterfeited stamps in the and. The, the government went after people who did. And yeah. now, nowadays, they're just all over the place. Cost and, of and, doing business and, and the, who cares. Yeah. And, uh, well, in this case, the post office doesn't seem to care. Yeah, they don't. Wish they would. Well, are we done with revenue stamps? Uh, only to say that if you have a part perforated or an imperforate revenue stamp that has a later cancellation date, say 1870... You better, oh, you better yeah, be yeah. collecting it in a multiple. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, the canceled, the the way these were properly used normally was a manuscript. The The person had to sign it and date it um, by hand. And, uh, I mean, they could use hand stamps, and the hand stamps are generally neater and more desirable. But the uh, standard way of usage was just for a manuscript cancel and date on the stamp. Well, the hand stamps also became rather ornate as advertising for them. Well, there were some that were printed, and those are extremely rare and extremely desirable. Yeah, but in 1862, they allowed people to do private dye. From the very beginning of the issue, they said, you guys can make your own posted st or your own tax stamps if you want to. And that's why... The that's, medicine companies. That's why the, and the playing card companies. Right. That's where the match and medicine mm -hmm. stamps come that's from. That's where the ads, so-called ad stamps, came out. Yep, because yeah. you're advertising yourself. You're you're showing that uh, you are official. Um, it, it was a big sale point, big big selling point. Well, we are paying the taxes on this thing because the federal government says that our snake oil actually will cure. Everything that ails you. So, um, to close out, a couple words on how on the catalog listings. Um, the catalog listings are for manuscript manuscript canceled stamps. Uh, those with the hand stamps and those with the printed cancellations are uh, a premium items and will bring stronger prices. And, uh, and when you I get into the when you get into the private dies. Uh, if you read the uh, title section uh, with uh, in the catalog, it says that the stamps are actually valued with faults. 
So be aware of that. If you're going to collect this area, you can't expect to find fault-free stamps on the private dies. And also on the private dies, they didn't have to be canceled because a lot of times tearing or some shot, as long as they don't have gum, they're considered used. If they have gum, then you can uh, say that they're unused. There is a sub-variety sub of collecting where you can actually still buy them on bottles or on packages. They're, they're in fact, uh, there's a sale coming up that has a large quantity of that. And they're very, very rare. And uh, um, some, of the, some of the bottles still have the medicine in there, though I don't oh. suggest that you take it. <laughs> I, I collected yes. Dr. Jane and Sons, and I had bottles of stuff that was still in it that had separated and you know the top of it it looks like water and the bottom of it looks like sludge you know <laughs> but uh like i said my uh greatest find ever was i found a uh dr jane and sons on a box that only it only had one third of the stamp on the flap the other two thirds had fallen off but it was one of four known well, we at least 33% of one of four known. <laughs> just as an aside, just remember we have a modern, we have a 20th century issue that uh, when you find it on cover, it's related to medicine, and that's the Orangeburg cover. Yeah. Because that, the Orangeburg coils were issued strictly, they were used by the Bell Lands Company to send out samples to doctors. Yep, they're little uh, metal uh, flip things. Right. Yep, because it costs three cents instead of two. And they wanted coils so that it was easy to ship. Alrighty, I think that wraps it up. Well, thank you, everybody. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, episode number 239. This was Tom. This was Scott. This was Cash. This was Mark. This was Albert. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.